Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. Our guest today is Chris Hamilton, aka Iltone. And he is a hip hop artist that is going to share his recovery story and how his art helped him through his addiction and played into his addiction and how he got recovery and how he found a space in his life to be able to really become his true self. It's a great story. Chris shares deeply about his journey and it's just very inspiring to to hear it and to be able to talk with someone who has really been through the struggle and overcome it and really made a life that they enjoy and want and feel good about. So it's a great episode. If you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, think about sharing the podcast with a friend or rate and review us on iTunes. I really like that. And also think about joining our Facebook group. You can go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone, let's begin this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. I have a great guest today. His name is Chris Hamilton, also known as Iltone in the hip hop scene. Chris, introduce yourself. Hey, what's going on, Dwayne? Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Uh, my name is Chris. Obviously, as Dwayne has introduced, I go by the stage name of Iltone, and I am a hip-hop artist slash music producer from Vancouver Island on the west coast of Canada. All right. So you, I think, I think you reached out to me and you said, hey, I have this music. I'm in recovery. I have a story to tell. So I clicked on your links. I listened to your music. I loved it. I, I thought it was great. And I said, man, I, I want to have Chris on the show. I want him to share his story and his passion. And I could tell in your songs, there's just a lot of thought and there's recovery in them, I guess I should say. So tell me a little bit about your story and how this all started. So I grew up in a relatively small town on uh, Vancouver Island here. It's called the Comox Valley. It's actually an amalgamation of three small towns that uh, together uh, comprise one region. And um, I always found that growing up, the age-old story of not having enough to do in a small town. Um, you know, I played sports. I had, uh, I, you know, my whole family was around and stuff like that. But I was constantly complaining about how they're I uh, was nothing to do. And I mean, there's always something to do when it comes down to it, go outdoors, go for a hike or something. But the town that I'm from is riddled with substance abuse issues. So at an early age, you know, about age uh, 11, 12, uh, I started drinking. I uh, found right away the powerlessness aspect of my uh, addiction was prevalent uh, right off the bat. I was always the first to start, the last to stop, and the most terrible feeling the next day, but the most willing to go back out and do it again. And that's uh, as powerless as it gets when, you know, I just, I hate doing it, but right away I'm still uh, perpetuating this addictive cycle. So I um, started smoking pot too, in addition to the uh, alcohol that I was consuming. I went from being a straight A student who played lots of sports to being a straight C student who played none. Um, I had behavioral problems uh, all throughout school, mainly high school, um, that culminated with me being expelled for fighting. 
And another thing that was happening around that time was um, I, I, I realized that I was identifying as being bisexual. Right. So to right. you know make matters worse for me internally, I'm in I'm in a small redneckish town. I'm uh, struggling with chemical dependency, and I feel that there's no nobody that I can come out of the closet and share this with. So that was a big part of it as well. Um, I struggled with social anxiety as well, and I felt that the alcohol specifically, and later the harder drugs like uh, cocaine, ecstasy, things like that were a way for me to actually become my actual self. I say that in quotations uh, because I just wasn't, yeah, for sure. I wasn't afraid to tell people about, um, you know, I wasn't afraid to cut loose, to, you know, tell jokes, to, you know, hang around with my friends and uh, introduce myself to new people uh, through parties and things like that. Whereas I was shy and reserved when, when I was sober. I was angry, shy and reserved as sober, but fun and outgoing when I wasn't. And so um, this continued as a cycle throughout high school. It got worse and worse. Uh, like I said, culminated with me being expelled from school for fighting. And um, through all this, I found a love for hip-hop music. Um, I had heard hip-hop music and loved uh, how, my, how expressive it was uh, lyrically. In the average hip-hop song, there's you know, a lot more lyrics than there are in any other genre of music. And I found that these rappers uh, that I was listening to at the time were talking about Uh, struggle. It didn't matter what it was. Their struggles were much, much different from mine. But they were talking about some aspect of struggle that I thought that I could relate to. And so um, I started writing mainly just for fun. That was always a constant source of inspiration for me. One of the few things that I still enjoyed doing after having given up the sports and, you know, school and having flunked out of it and uh, having been expelled. There were two things. One was positive. It was the music. And one was negative. It was the substance abuse. I mean, that's a ton to like what you were describing and what you just said, that's a ton to hold in. I mean, if you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with your sexual identity, you're young, you're in a town that's not open to that, you can't find support. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that substance could come along and change that a little bit, make that a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. I actually heard a statistic that um, half of street youth in, I believe it was the United States, not just North America or uh, Canada, but the stat I heard was for the U.S. Half street youth in the U.S. are of the LGBTQ community, uh, which is um, an amazing and, you know, just mind-blowing statistic uh, to tell you how big of a struggle it is for people that are in the same position as me to come out and tell our families and and our friends. And I didn't end up coming uh, out of the closet and telling uh, people around me that until I was in my early 20s. Um, I believe I was like 21 or 22. And, you know, as, as positive as hip hop is for me to be able to release my struggles with chemical dependency and just struggle in, in general and uh, to put it out there to the public and receive validation back that uh, other people are going through the same struggles. It is uh, historically and traditionally a little bit of a homophobic offshoot of the music industry. So that, while being positive to actually create, uh, was a whole nother set of social anxiety related issues for me. So here you could you could relate to the struggle in the music because you could feel that internally. You could really feel that struggle. Yet here was this one part of you that you couldn't share there either. I mean, that that's hard to do too. I mean, that you can't be yourself. Totally. So it, uh, what ended up happening is I had to come out twice about this, not just once. Uh, there was the first time with family and close friends to, uh, you know, mixed reception. 
Uh, but years later, I ended up uh, just uh, hitting up uh, Hip Hop Canada via email and telling them about it and getting them to cover it as an actual story. So um, I don't know if this is, uh, I, I never heard about any other Canadian bisexual rapper before, but um, I think that I may have been the first and I didn't do it to try to blaze like a trail for everybody else. Uh, I did it for myself more than anything so that I could be more comfortable with myself. And this didn't happen until I was in my uh, mid to late 20s. So it was another, you know, half a decade of essentially living a double life because people around me who are close to me knew, but a lot of people out in the scene didn't know. So it was, uh, it made me a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. What's this person thinking about me right now? Do they know? You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. So you had to kind of live that double life and here is your passion. So you found this music and it spoke to you. You could understand its struggle. You could do it. How did you start to get involved in that? And how did you channel that? And how did your addiction play out in that? So right from the right from the onset of creating music, and we'll go back to my teenage years, it was always based on struggle. So one of the first songs that I wrote uh, was called Places to Go, and it was about being kicked out of my house because when I got expelled from school, I was simultaneously kicked out of my family home and sleeping on the floor of a friend's place. And uh, so, yeah, the song was called Places to Go, and it was a way, like, I, I don't know, I was around, you know, my friends when I was younger. It was, it's, it's not like dudes who are in their teenage years just get together and talk about their feelings, you know what I mean? Right, so, right. Um, so it was like a way for me to express my feelings, um, my shame of not being, you know, up to, up to the standard of my uh, family. So that's, that's how I felt at that point to this day. It's, it's not like that. And um, my family and I are in good terms, but... At the time, that's how I felt. And um, yeah, yeah. the shame of being um, expelled from the family home, the sadness, you know, of having nobody to talk to, uh, the anger that uh, I felt inwardly towards myself for something that I perceived as being unacceptable in society uh, turned outward into the lyrics that I was writing at that time. So uh, yeah, I just channeled my emotions and sit down and uh, I was just learning how to write songs at that time. So uh, you know, it wasn't as good as the stuff. It wasn't as polished as it is now, but um, it was the roots of uh, being able to express myself. It's like a group therapy session just on a piece of paper, right? Because I craft these lyrics and then eventually I put them out to the public and eventually I'm going to hear back that the lyrics that I've crafted have helped other people through their struggles because they have been through the same things, right? And so, right. yeah, so I was at a 12-step uh, fellowship meeting last night and a lady who was taking her 60 days uh, said that as she was taking it, my song, Am I Good Enough, was playing through her head as she grabbed that tag. And uh, that was an amazing thing to hear. It was like just knowing that uh, she could relate wholeheartedly to the to the lyrics that I had, uh, you know, put down and recorded uh, made me feel, feel great. So that's why I say it's like a group therapy session because uh, the stuff that I write, uh, it's not just specific to me. It's, you know, when I go out to these meetings, I realize that I'll be in a room of 100 people and all of them have been through the the same things that I've been through, right? Right. I think that's so, whether it's in the fellowship or through therapy or through support groups or anything like that, you know, getting that help, knowing you're not alone, like being able to hear someone else say, hey, this is my struggle. And you can go, oh my God, that's just like me. I mean, you can get, in a way, a little bit of relief. I mean, you're still in pain sometimes, but there's still that moment to know, okay, I'm not the only one getting through this. I'm not the only one out there. I'm not the only one who's suffering. 
And if this person can do something with their suffering, maybe I can do something with mine. The validation is one of the biggest parts of it for me. So we all think of ourselves when we're in our addiction, at least this is the way I perceive it. We all think of ourselves as monsters, you know, like I had trouble really looking at myself in the mirror when I was in the depth of my illness and uh, to go out to a meeting and to, you know, speak honestly and then have a room full of people just be like, yeah, similar story. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what, yeah. what background we come from. There could be like the, you know, the lawyer in the suit and the factory worker getting off work and going to this place at the same time. We all relate to one another. And that validation, similar to when I did my step work uh, on a personal note, uh, when I did my step work, right. I wrote down all these defects and all these, you know, harms that I had done through uh, step four and step eight. And then, you know, I was nervous to tell my sponsor about all these things because I thought that, you know, he'd get up and walk out of the room. But all he said was, man, it's really not that terrible. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that not to say that the things that I did were good because I've done a lot of uh, crappy things uh, throughout my throughout my disease, but they're not that uncommon. You know what I mean? So to receive that validation that I'm not, you know, unacceptable uh, because of these things that I've done is of paramount importance. Yeah, and that grace to be human, to mess up and and repair. You know, I mean, we need to know we can do that. So I have a question. So when did you start to realize like, okay, I got a problem here with these substances. I can't stop this. Or when did you start to say, I got to do something? So that happened early, Dwayne. It was around age 15. I tried cocaine for the first time. And, uh, I'd heard all these evil things about cocaine, you know, it's horribly addictive. You don't want to touch that. I came from, you know, a pretty upscale family. So um, I knew it was bad, bad stuff right off the bat. Um, It wasn't until it was the second time that I did it that I thought, well, I've got a problem. I didn't want to touch this the next weekend. I just knew right away because the previous weekend I had said, I'd never, I'm never touching this again, right? And uh, the next weekend, there I go back out, uh, drank like a few beers, and then was unable to abstain from it. So um, it was pretty early. And I remember um, sitting in this little pathway with my friend, uh, his name was Mark. And um, I looked at him and I said, Mark, we're alcoholics, like 15 years old, I already knew about it. But my idea was that since uh, life was not yet unmanageable, and I didn't know these terms for the for the situations back then, but I had a job, you know, I had a roof over my head, I had friends around. So we're alcoholics, but who really cares, right? But at that point, I already knew it was a problem. Also with like things like marijuana, like I had no concept of when to stop, I would be at school and it made me, you know, like with alcohol, it made me less social, socially anxious, but with marijuana, it made me more socially anxious. And I'd be smoking it at school and going into class just thinking, are people looking at me? Are people looking at me? I hated it. Right, right. Um, but I can, can continued to do it, right? It truly is the gateway drug. Wow. So when did you really start to think about getting clean? And then... So I was in um, a my third car accident, actually, when I was 19. And I rode off my vehicle. And there were three people who were in the vehicle with me. No one was killed, thankfully. But uh, there were some injuries. And I felt terribly about myself. So I decided that I was going to go through residential treatment. And um, I didn't really go into treatment with the mindset that I was going to quit all substances. I thought that I was going to be able to pick and choose my substances. When I got out, I'd learned to control one, uh, get rid of another. 
And now I know to this at this time that that's not the case. Uh, but I've heard it referred to as buffet-style recovery before, so I like that term. Right. Kind of used <laughs> yeah, buffet-style recovery, you can pick and choose the things. But yeah. <laughs> um, so I went in and um, I was certainly not uh, forthcoming in treatment about my sexuality. I didn't tell anybody about that. That was still locked within me. And um, I was not honest about my intent to go back out and smoke marijuana. And I, although I knew I should quit drinking, right. I knew that I would probably be back to it. And I find that um, through treatment facilities that I've attended since, I've been through a few times, um, I, re- I see that in a lot of the younger crowd that comes through the 19, 20, 21 um, they're just right. not done experimenting. And I was at that stage uh, where I wasn't done experimenting. And I mean, that's not across the board. I have seen 19, 20, 21 year olds get clean. So if anybody's listening to this, I don't want to discourage you from trying. Um, but this was your journey. This was your journey. This is how you had to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So I came out, I uh, actually relapsed with weed uh, when I left the parking lot. And within, you know, a year or two, I was back to everything else too. Right. Right. So then you went back and got more help and started getting more support and kind of finding your way. Yep. So I eventually moved to um, Vancouver and I immersed myself in uh, the hip hop community even more so. And uh, that was always a reason I always had a steady job while I was there to fund musical endeavors because I wasn't making anything back. And so it uh, gave me a positive outlet and I did uh, manage to stay clean a lot of the time. So Uh, Instead of being a daily user, which I had been in my hometown previously, I became a binger on the weekend, which, you know, to me isn't really any better. It didn't leave me any more spiritually fulfilled than being a daily user had been. But um, I was still able to accomplish things throughout the week, uh, set up my shows, you know, book my tours, create my projects. Another tipping point came for me when my family actually uh, decided to help me uh, put myself through schooling. So I went back to audio engineering and production school in my mid-20s and um, really made the most of it. I put, um, you know, my whole self forward. I had graduated high school at this time through correspondence, so I could now attend college or technical school. Went through there. I did fairly well. And when I got out, I was motivated enough to go back to treatment by my own volition. I hadn't been in a car accident. There was no like court stuff going on. Um, I just decided that I wanted to get clean. Uh, the substance of choice at that point was crack cocaine. It was very serious. And um, whether or not it was just weekends, I wanted to uh, you know, take a real stab at progressing in music. My family had helped me go through school. Um, that was weighing heavily on my mind. They're helping me out with this while I'm out doing that. So I decided to uh, go back to treatment and I this time went to a non 12 step treatment facility. So I was still struggling with the idea that I had to give up all substances, right? Um, right. Struggling with the higher power concept in a big way. Um, I come from an atheist background. Uh, Today, I identify as being an agnostic, but um, that was a huge struggle for me as well. So I decided to go to a non 12 step treatment facility to avoid all of that stuff. Wow. So what a journey, but it sounds like you got to a point where you really kind of knew you wanted something different. And I think a lot of people kind of experience that. Like, I got to make some change here. I got to do something. Now it's like coming from inside. For sure. So um, I had been um, been in school for a while and it was uh, very motivating for me to progress my career in music. I'd been doing local shows I'd created an album. I wanted to figure out how to further this, you know, foray into the hip hop community. And um, so I, I did holler at my parents and I asked them to help me with treatment costs and decided to go to a non-12 step based 
uh, treatment facility uh, up on the Sunshine Coast, which is a uh, remote community or uh, not too remote, but a little bit of a more remote community than say like Vancouver or uh, Nanaimo where I'm at now. And so, so I checked myself in there and uh, this was the first time that I divulged um, my sexuality to a group of people who weren't my close peers, either my, you know, family or friends. And it felt great. And I remember having sat in, you know, a counseling session with my main counselor at the time. And should I tell people about this, you know, and um, he was kind of guiding me well, I mean, it's yours to tell whoever you want, but it seems like it's a major part of your life and your your mindset right now. So, um, so I decided to lay that out on the table, and um, uh, it was the first time that on that level that I realized, you know, most people just accept this. Uh, nobody's going to verbally chastise me for for this. Uh, it's not like it matters to them, right? So, um, so that gained uh, that uh, that inspired me to you know be a little bit more uh, open about who I was moving forward. And um, I was also allowed to create music when I was there. Uh, not like, you know, I didn't have a full studio set up, but I could write. Um, a lot of these uh, treatment facilities, you can't read or bring a computer or anything like that. But um, I had some creative tools. Uh, I had a computer. I could make beats and stuff like that, which was pretty cool. I just couldn't record like a full, full-length full album. But um, that was cool to know. So I was able to set up some uh, musical endeavors for when I got out. And so when I got out of this treatment facility, um, which was non-12-step based, and that does have uh, that does have a little bit of significance later in the story, I just hit the ground running and advanced myself quite far in music in a very short period of time. But I had re- replaced alcoholism and addiction with workaholism. Right. I spent right. every waking hour putting it into my music career. And while I did, you know, manage to book tours and create many uh, musical projects uh, during this time. I didn't do 12-step fellowship meetings. I didn't do aftercare. Um, I didn't immerse myself in the recovery community. And um, I didn't have a higher power, work the steps, have a sponsor, any of these things. And that was what ended up taking me out. Um, Eventually, I was on tour out in Europe. I was at a show in Norway, and a Norwegian woman offered me a beer. I drank it. Uh, After two and a half years of abstaining, of having abstained from all uh, substances, and within two weeks, I was back to, you know, 20 beers a day. And shortly after returning to Canada, I was back into hard drugs. And this time it was crystal meth. Wow. So it just took you right back and it was fast and quick. And so many people share that same that same story. You know, they get that, that clean time. They're doing good, but they haven't maybe done some of that deeper work. And they have that opportunity. They're not involved in a recovery community. And then boom, they're back, back to where they started. Absolutely. And not having, you know, that support network of uh, positive people who can validate my experience, like we spoke about earlier in this interview. Right. I'm not going to those meetings and not being able to, you know, offload the grittier stuff. I had my music and that was a way for me to talk about my uh, feelings and express them. But the in-person validation with uh, other people who are sitting in a circle and, you know, can all connect with one another is... uh, so important for recovery. Um, it's been the most important right. thing for me is growing right. a network of uh, clean, recovered, recovering individuals who, um, you know, are there when I need when I need uh, somebody to listen to my to my crap, as I call it. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question because I, I was wondering because at the beginning when we were talking, you were talking about how your beginning rap was all that angst you had, you know, all this internal strife that you had to put out somewhere. Um, How has your music evolved as you've been in recovery and you've, you've 
taken this walk and you've grown and, and you've worked on some of these issues, you know, your own, your own stuff, how, how has your music changed or shifted or grown? Well, instead of just, um, just rhyming about the, the actual struggle aspect of it on the record that I just released, uh, the up in my head record that I sent you. Yeah. It's more so about the the triumph over said struggles. So instead of uh, just talking about getting loaded and the feelings that are associated with it, there are tracks like Clubs and Drugs where it's about the flip side, trying to remain sober and clean in the club scene. Or um, in Am I Good Enough, where instead of just talking about the pain associated with uh, social anxiety, it talks about conquering that pain and coming out on the other side and realizing, hey, I am good enough. So uh, the next thing that I've written, actually, I've already written my next album. It takes a whole different approach. It's more so comedic. Uh, There are some comedy songs that aren't even about uh, recovery. There are songs uh, more so about other other topics, right? It's not fully completed yet. I don't want to let too many things out of the bag. But yeah, I take a totally different approach. And the reason is because I've gone through that pain. I don't want everything to be about the pain associated with addiction. And I feel myself becoming more of a complete person now. So my sense of humor is back more intelligent than I was before as my brain heals itself. So the things that I'm writing about are a lot different from uh, what I was writing when I was actually in the grips of my illness. It's like what you're saying, what really struck me is like, I'm becoming more fully human. I'm becoming more myself. I'm embracing myself. All these aspects that are part of me are now coming out in ways that the addiction didn't allow. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that comes through the step work, you know, having actually divulged these things to uh, my sponsor and to people at meetings and so on and so forth. I'm able to put that behind me. Right. And there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's a saying, it's like, we're, we're only as sick as the secrets we hold, right? We need to be able to tell this stuff to someone, a, a sponsor, a therapist, a, whoever, a trusted individual who can hear our story and still care about us. Because sometimes we can't hear our own story and care about us. We need, we need somebody else to, to give us some caring so we can care for ourselves. Absolutely. Without um, expressing these thoughts and emotions, uh, all they do is sit below the surface and fester, right? And so Absolutely. Uh, as, as they fester away, it takes a toll on our actual, um, on our actual thought process, right? right. Uh, that negative, negative self-talk when I'm telling myself that I'm a piece of crap all day and that people won't accept me as me uh, can really get to you after a while when in our associations with others. Um, it comes out, you know, off, often we turn that inward pain outward at other people and develop uh, rage issues, anger issues, uh, you know, pessimistic worldviews, uh, things like that. And so, um, yeah, uh, by, you know, expressing that in a healthy way to a sponsor or at a meeting, um, it helps get that out in, uh, in a healthier way than just, you know, developing those same issues that I just spoke about. So it sounds like your craft, your hip hop art has evolved with you as you've grown in this journey. Yeah, I feel like my art has recovered to some extent as well, not just myself. Yeah, it's just, you know, I've been there, I've done that, I've talked about a lot of it, and I'm sure that it will come up in the future. But for my next release, I don't want it to be entirely recovery-based because I've just gone through done that, right? So um, yeah, uh, there are tracks on my next album that uh, certainly portray a happier Chris, and I'm uh, happy to say that. That, that is That is so awesome to hear. And I'm, I'm so happy for you. I'm so thankful that you, you come on to the Addicted Mind and, and share your music and your wisdom. If anybody's out there struggling right now, right? 
and they're listening to this podcast and they're listening to you and your story, what, what do you want to tell them? What do you want to say to them? Never give up hope. Grow your network. There's always going to be somebody who's been through the same thing as you. And I used to sit, sit around thinking that nobody would understand me and that I wouldn't understand anybody else. And that's simply not the case. Get to a meeting. Find your A. It doesn't matter if it's Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, uh, Cocaine Anonymous. There's, an anon- there's like 300 of them. Uh, find, find your A and you will find the people that truly understand you and uh, you will be connected with people once again. That is awesome. Go out, don't give up and you know, find people who can help you. And there's people out there in all different places that can hear your story. That's awesome. So Chris, tell me a little bit, how can people find out more about you? How can they, if they want to listen to your music, where can they find it? Totally. So you can search for me on Spotify. Just type in Ill Tone on Spotify. You'll find me there. You can also search for Up In My Head EP. That's my new release. You can hear that at illtone.bandcamp.com. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash illtonesmusic. That's with an S in there. So I-L-L-T-O-N-E-S, music. Um, you can search that on Instagram as well, instagram.com slash illtonesmusic and uh, youtube.com slash illtonesmusic. I keep it uh, pretty uniform throughout. So illtonesmusic, that's how you'll find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on and and sharing your wisdom and and being part of the Addicted Mind podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on there, Dwayne. I really appreciate it. And uh, I've listened to some episodes and you, uh, you put together a great podcast, man. Oh, thanks so much. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com 108. And all the links will be there as well. So you can find Chris Hamilton's music. I definitely say check it out and listen to it. It's very inspiring. I really enjoyed it. So check that out. Once again, rate and review us in iTunes or share the podcast with a friend if you're enjoying it. And think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online there as well. All right, everyone, before I go, I'm going to leave you with some ill tone and I will talk to you on the next episode. It's never good enough for others. It's never good enough for me even. The song isn't even good. I often ponder my complete discography. Seek the deeper meaning like in Greek mythology. What's represented in the sentences I'm pen and men and women tend to listen. Hope I reach them properly. Just a man with a unique psychology. Between good and evil, it's a deep dichotomy. Yeah, just because I preach philosophies, that doesn't mean that I believe I'm Socrates. I tend to put my foot in my mouth. And I've done a lot of things that can be seen as being crooked, no doubt. Mom and dad didn't want me, they booted me out. Hated my father. I wanted to put my boot in his mouth Haven't forgotten all the yelling and the violence he put upon me Confined in my room, crying cause I was lonely For a new father is what I would wish And when I wish too loud he shut me up with his fist Grew up to become a temper tantrum throwing attention seeker How'd that happen? I can't comprehend it either These days I just speak to the speakers Trying to cut up all my problems like some meat with a cleaver uh, Will it help if I put it in a nil verse? Or will I die inside like a stillbirth? I'm just trying to prove myself worth But I guess I gotta prove it to myself I'm never good enough For the people in my life It's never good enough Any speech that I can write I'm never good enough 
When I pleaded to the mic, no, I'm wrong. Sometimes it feels like I'm right. I'm never good enough for the people in my life. It's never good enough. Any speech that I can write, I'm never good enough. When I pleaded to the mic, no, I'm wrong. Sometimes it feels like I'm right. Feeling weak and brutal, disgusted with myself and how I seek approval. Shit stinks worse than rubbish heat removal. When as an individual, you let other people rule you. I still show that ill tongue can be a sour cat, chilling in the sour patch. Where the damn flowers at? Where the damn flowers at? Gotta take the fucking power back. Hit them all like E Honda with the power slap. At the end of the day, it doesn't even really matter what the other people think anyway. I spent years trying to prove myself to the point that I would lose my health. Not the type of guy that you can help. Must Prove myself. Got a lot of paranoia I can do without. Gotta lose it now. Not here to fuck around, the game is on. Screaming like the fucking hound in Game of Thrones. I am my own master. Valiant and gallant as Jon Snow the bastard. Free at last. My mind was locked in a cell. Prisoner of war on the island of Guadalcanal. There were times I didn't think I could have felt worse. Still think about it sometimes and it still hurts. Yeah. But I ain't gotta prove my self worth. Until I prove it to myself first. Good enough for the people in my life. Is it good enough? Any speech that I can write. Am I good enough when I plead into the mic? Yeah, right now I feel alright. Am I good enough for the people in my life? Is it good enough? Any speech that I can write? Am I good enough when I plead into the mic? Please tell me that it's good enough. Oh, hey, it's Aaron. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.